that is one of my favorite songs uh, ever written. So, David, thank you for leading that this morning. I think that's going to help us as we, as we begin to, to focus on, on the death of Christ, which seems a little odd on, on Easter Sunday to think about the death of Christ, but, but in order to, to appreciate and in order to understand the resurrection of Christ, I think we have to spend a few moments at the cross. You know, church, we come together this morning as sinners, and, and I hope you can admit that to yourself. I hope that's something that you're aware of, but, but if not, I, I want to break this news to you. We're not perfect. We have all sinned. We know that something has gone dreadfully wrong in the world and with us in the world. Things are, are just out of control. It's not all our fault, but it is our fault, too. We cannot blame our distant parents for that fateful afternoon in the garden. For we were there. We too reached for the forbidden fruit. The forbidden fruit by which we now know good and evil. So we look deep within ourselves, and I want to invite you to do this, to look deep within yourself. And, and I think what we'll see is that the powers and principalities of, of evil are there. They are within us. We are broken. And we cannot remedy ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. Your brokenness cannot be fixed by me. Your brokenness cannot be fixed by you. We are broken. We are powerless because all of us have forfeited our power at the altar of sin. The wages of our sin, the outcome of our sin is decisive. The outcome of our sin, the wages of our sin is death. That's the verdict. Death. But friends, God loves us. God loves all of us. He's not out there vengefully watching over us, just waiting for us to make our mistakes. That's not our God. That's not the story of our God. This story that we keep going back to, this story that we care so deeply about, is about God who's always trying to woo us back to Him. God loves us. God created us. In love and gave us freedom so that we can respond in love, so that we can love Him. God loved us even when we sinned, even when we chose to pretend that God is not there, even when we chose our own ways over His ways. God loves us and God forgives us. That is the story of the cross. Church, forgiveness costs. There's a quote by a guy named Richard Newhouse that I want to share with you. He, he says, forgiveness costs. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness, not counting their trespasses, is, is not a kindly accountant winking at what is wrong. It's not a benign cooking of the books. In the world, in our own lives, something has gone dreadfully wrong and it must be set right. The fear of punishment is terrible. But not as terrible as the thought that nothing will happen. The bad things don't matter. Because if bad things don't matter, 
then good things don't matter, then nothing matters, and the meaning of everything lies shattered. Love costs. Forgiveness costs. And we have nothing to offer. We cannot forgive God because God has done nothing wrong. We can't simply forgive ourselves as though we've only sinned against ourselves. Our sinfulness, our choice of evil over love has left us unable to love God as we were created to do. And we have nothing to offer. Therefore, God must act. And God must win. I invite you to open up to the Gospel of John. Both Patrick and I are going to be spending the majority of our time in this Gospel this morning. I'm going to share a few different verses. We're going to start in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1.14, we, re- we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is God. The Word becomes flesh, which means God becomes flesh, which means God becomes one of us. God becomes man. The story seems to begin with the assumption that when God shows up, God will win. I think we should have that assumption within ourselves. If God shows up, God will win. Our God will be victorious. Evil will not prevail. But then we skip on to the end of the story. John chapter 19, starting in verses 1 through 3. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail the King of the Jews! And striking him on the face. We see Jesus beaten, flogged. We see this crown of thorns driven on his head. This looks like he is losing, but but every good story that we know has that moment where it looks like the hero is down. We think of the Rocky movies. We think of these stories where the hero has everything going against them. And, And then there's this moment of the comeback. We're talking about God, after all. God will win. God has these angel armies at his call. God is just pretending to let evil have the upper hand. But the story continues. John 19, verse 14. Pilate said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they're yelling, crucify him. They can yell it all they want, but we know that this is God in the flesh. You cannot crucify God in the flesh. That would not make sense. Then we get to verse 18. There they crucified him. With him two others, one on either side and Jesus 
between them. But still, since this is just, he's on the cross, he's, he's just there, but that doesn't mean he will die. This is God. God cannot die. This is God in the flesh. He will win. And we get to verse 30. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's dead. God in the flesh is dead. And we are there. We look up and we see his lifeless body hanging there. And the verdict seems clear. He lost. Evil won. And this is where the story has an unexpected twist. If you were to simply say, God won because Christ died, it would sound like you're having trouble coping with reality. You don't win through death. Victory usually precludes death. How can we say that Christ won? Then we get to Colossians. There's two passages I want to share with you this morning. You're going to hear about the resurrection. You're going to, but we need to focus on the cross for just a moment. Colossians 2, verse 13. When God forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Christ triumphed over the principalities and powers that we see within ourselves. The cross actually means victory. How can this be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, and we know that's Jesus, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, this morning, what I am here to do, what Patrick and I have decided needs to be said, is that on the cross, God acted decisively, and he defeated sin on our behalf. Praise God. On the cross, God triumphed over evil. He nailed evil to the cross, restoring our relationship with God and giving us hope. And so we come to communion this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and ask the guys that are going to serve that uh, to go prepare for this. Every week we come to communion to celebrate. We come together and we eat the bread and we drink the juice, and we remember that through the death of Jesus, God won the victory. A victory we proclaim as we take and eat and as we take and drink. So in just a few moments, what we're going to do, some men are going to walk around and pass trays that have cracker. And each week we celebrate and remember the body of Christ when we take a piece of these crackers. We, we proclaim that there is victory in his death. And all of you are invited to take of this. Will you pray with me, church? Focus on the 
the cross is, is absolute. It, it has to be done. The cross was part of our redemption. The cross was part of our, uh, our success, our acceptance in, in Christ. Uh, but to stop there is to stop before the story is over. And uh, I know Jordan said that was one of his favorite songs, the, the, uh, When I Survey the Wonderful Cross. And it's one of mine as well. And it's mostly because I like everything. So I, I pretty much, you know, if, if it's there, I, I like it. I'm just, that's my personality. Um, but I love the sense of, of, of thinking through the cross and what that means and how that must have been experienced. Um, and that's kind of what we want to do as we move into the second part of what we're going to do and focus on the resurrection. We want to focus a little bit on trying to get a sense of what it would have been like to experience that, to go from this, this devastation and loss and having no clue what was going on, being, being confused and, and, and maybe even feeling like, like kind of things had spun into chaos and, and then realizing that Jesus Christ was alive. Um, Easter is, is, is an important day because we acknowledge that. I know some people will say, well, we acknowledge that every Sunday. We certainly do. Uh, but it's so great to stop and realize with the world, to be able to say to strangers uh, at Target, at Starbucks, to be able to hear from them, to say to, for, for them to say to me, people said to me this week, Happy Easter, celebrating, acknowledging the resurrection of Christ. It's a wonderful thing. My son, I want to tell you just real, real quickly, my son, um, he's pretty much the spitting image of me. So if you see a kid running around that's about three feet shorter than me wearing a cape, that is my son. And uh, I, the cape, uh, let me tell you about just briefly, you know, it's, it's a special Sunday, so, you know, you'll see some pastels and maybe some bow ties, you know, people looking a little sharp today. And we were trying to get my son to wear something a little extra special, so we got him suspenders, but he was dead set on wearing a cape to church, a cape. And I don't think it's because of this, but it certainly helps. I, I, I like to think that it's, he's like so excited about celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. that he's like, Jesus is a superhero. I'm wearing my cape today. And he was running around church with a cape flowing behind him. And I just was thinking, how cool would that be if just everybody wore a cape on, on, on a Sunday someday? Wouldn't that be awesome? It would also be very weird, but it would be also kind of cool. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to kind of, as much as possible, to put yourself in the situation uh, that these people were experiencing. So if you can use your imagination, if you can kind of go there and try to experience the resurrection with some of the followers. And I want to tell you something. The story we're going to read is all about a lady named Mary Magdalene. There's an appearance briefly from Peter and John, but it's all about Mary. It's all about Mary. We get a little confused about that because, uh, because there's these other people that show up. But it's all about this lady named Mary Magdalene, a lady with a kind of a sketchy past. A lady who had to have experienced in her life a ton of rejection, a ton of uncertainty, a ton of regret. And here is someone that came along and gave her a glimpse of redemption and gave her a glimpse of complete and true and absolute love. It gave her a glimpse of what it felt like to be 1,000% accepted by another human being without strings, without questions, without worries about what would happen. Uh, she must have felt like that. And so for her to realize that Christ had died, it must have felt like a dead end, like a door had slammed shut on some future in her life, some experience in her life that she was never going to see that again. She was never going to feel that again. And you can imagine kind of processing through that sorrow. It says in verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
I mean, there's one thing that she could do is to go pay her respects. They had prepared spices. They, had, they, they were going to just prepare the body because they hadn't, hadn't been able to because the Sabbath had come and they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. She was a little frustrated because they had been removed, so she came running to Simon Peter. Now, Simon seems like a get-stuff-done type of guy. If you've been around church very often, he at least will make a scene, if nothing else. He'll make a lot of noise, and you can imagine her running to him saying, something, something bad has happened. Somebody's taken the body. You've got to do something. And then there's this other character. It says she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. It says the one Jesus loved. And most people feel like this is probably John himself, the one who's writing the book. And he didn't want to be too upfront about it, so he just referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. So he kind of just uh, would throw that in, in every once in a while and then write in third person, which probably seems strange to us, but he felt like maybe this was a humble thing to do. So you got Simon Peter, and you have the one Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And then in uh, verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started running for the tomb. And this, I love this. I love this. If you go to verse 4 on the slides, please. In verse 4, uh, there we go. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, this is total guy stuff right here. Listen, uh, John's like, you know, I just want to slip it into the eternal record that I'm faster than Peter. I just want that to be clear. This is a whole story about Jesus rising from the dead. And, and John's like, uh, I'm faster than Peter. Just want you to know that. How cool is that? It's total guy stuff. It, it, just, it, it just shows you their personality. Um, so anyway, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 5, he bent over. This is Peter. Or excuse me. Both were running. Peter out, uh, he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen, linen lying there, but he did not go in. So there's this hole. You'd kind of have to kind of bend over or crawl in. And he, would, he looked in and he saw something's amiss, something's wrong. Simon Peter shows up, runs right into the tomb, and he sees it. He sees the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus. And uh, he says, finally... Uh, in verse 7, go to the, there you go. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth that was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And it says he saw and believed. He saw and believed. He saw and believed something. Now, they didn't get it. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't, I don't get it either. Anytime I think about the death and resurrection of Christ, there's so much that I don't understand. There's so much that I don't get. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. This wasn't in their vocabulary to think that, that, that Jesus could have died and it would somehow come back. Despite this th all the many times that Jesus was like, hey, guess what, guys? I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back. And it just didn't, it didn't compute. It wasn't in their framework of thinking. It wasn't an option that someone could die and then return. It just didn't happen. And so they didn't know what to do with this. They saw it empty, but they had to assume somebody stole the body, somebody moved the body, something's going on. And they saw it. They saw it and believed, but they still didn't quite get it. It says in verse 9 that they did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They just, they, it wasn't there. But I want to tell you, there's this faint light of hope. This faint light of hope where in the back of their minds, in the back of John's mind, there had to been this, be this sense of Something big is happening. I don't understand what. I don't understand what's going on. I can't put all the pieces together, but there's something going on. Something's amiss. Something's not quite right. And maybe it's better than right. They just didn't quite get it. And it says in verse 10, the disciples went back to where they were staying. And remember, because this story is about Mary, we go back to Mary in, in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb 
And she saw two angels in white, seating where Jesus, sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, I don't know that it's every day you have conversations with angels at a graveside, but she seems completely undisturbed by this. Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord. Somebody stole the body. I just wanted to pay my respects. This is the one human being in the history of the world that had given me some sense of hope and some sense of acceptance, and I just want to pay my respects. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. Talking to angels in a tomb. No big deal. Everyday stuff. Verse 14. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. And I, I got to tell you, I know I love every verse in the Bible, and I always say this is my favorite verse, verse but I, I love this passage. She did not realize that it was Jesus, and Jesus uh, asked her, woman, why are you crying? What is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Why did Mary think that Jesus was the gardener? Because Jesus was over by the hedges, trimming them. Just looking over his shoulder. Maybe he's wearing, you know, some, like, lighted vest. I don't know, like you might see. A, he's wearing some, like, parks and rec something or other. Or maybe he's bending over, messing with the flowers. Hey, uh, hey uh, Mary, who are, you, who are you looking for? Why, why are you crying? What's going on? Now, he knows. He knows. And you know when you have incredible news and, and you want to break it, but you got to do it just right. You got to kind of work up to it. You got to kind of like reveal just the right moment. You got to pull the, you know, the sheet off the thing, or you got to you spring on your kids. Hey, kids, we're going to Disney World just at the right moment. We get the camera out. You want to break good news, but you want to do it just right. And this is, I, I know this is how this worked. I don't know, but this is how it would have worked if I were there. Jesus is, he's kind of like, he's messing with her a little bit. He's like, hey, uh, hey, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? He knows who he's looking for, or she's looking for. She's looking for you. Just say, hey, I'm here, I'm here. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's stop with this, this whole charade. Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And I, I, I love this next part. I just want you to just pause for a moment. Don't even think about anything else. I think this is kind of the most beautiful thing in Scripture. In verse 16, he says this. Jesus said to her, Mary. The story is about Mary Magdalene. Now, it was about to be about the whole world, but for right now, for this one moment, the entirety of God's plan since the beginning, since before the creation of the world, is being revealed to one human being. One human being who had experienced acceptance, who had experienced some sense of redemption, and then lost it because she had lost Jesus. It's all being revealed to this one person. And does that not give you an indication of the incredible, immense love of God that he would reveal this whole plan just to Mary? Isn't that beautiful? And he just says one word. Jesus said to her, Mary. And maybe Mary wasn't even paying attention to him. Maybe she had her back to him. Is this the gardener over there? Why are you crying? Some guy talking to me. I don't want to talk. I want to mourn. And he just says to her one word, Mary. And that's it. And that one word contained the entire truth of what had happened. Just in that one word, in calling her name. That Jesus reveals himself to her in that one word. Verse 16, she turned and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is her relationship with him. Jesus said to her, do not, hold on to, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. It's a little strange. Like, I imagine she just ran to him, 
gave him a hug or in some cases what would have been appropriate in their culture is to run to him, to him and throw herself at his feet and just hold on to, to, to his feet. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm not done yet. We've still got stuff to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to tell, tell the disciples, tell the rest of them. Verse 17, go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father uh, and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. Don't miss out on this, that God chose a woman with a sketchy background to be the one person to reveal that this death was not a dead end. That's an important feature. That's an important distinction, that God chose this one woman to go back to the disciples, these guys who had dedicated years of their life to Jesus. He still chose her and said, I want you to be the one that goes and tells them the good news. And they, they didn't quite believe it. They were still kind of like confused. It didn't quite make sense to them uh, at first. But don't miss out on that point. But I want you to understand, if you can, just for a moment, what it might have been like had you placed your hope in a person. And that person died. And then you got the sense that maybe that wasn't the end of the story. Because you thought you would hit a dead end. You thought you would hit the end of this. And maybe that wasn't the end of the story. Because I think this is it for us Christians. I think we run into these situations all the time where we have struggles, we have fear, we have regret. And every once in a while we get a glimpse of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we experience that redemption. But then we go back to that fear and that regret and that worry. And we go back to those dead ends. But today, if nothing else, today can be a day where we realize that whatever it is, whatever sin, whatever regret, whatever fear, whatever worry, whatever problem you have in your life, it is not a dead end. And it is not a dead end because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We got an awkward church, don't we? Some people clap and some people scream. I think it's appropriate to clap and scream. What a beautiful story. And, and, and here's what I want to leave you with, is that I, I believe this. I, I can't, I, I haven't talked to Jesus or he hasn't told me this, but I believe that, that he offers that same sort of personal acceptance to each one of us. That he's willing to call us by name and call us out of whatever it is that we've been in. And he continues to offer that full redemption, that full acceptance. And so I hope that today, the resurrection of Christ will forever change the trajectory of your life. I know sometimes for us it's fits and starts, right? We start a little bit and we get a glimpse of something and it feels like it's going the right way and then we're kind of back to our old ways and our old thing and back in this whatever. But I hope today maybe this can be the change in the trajectory of our lives. Here's what we're going to do. Because this is good news, we're, we're going we're gonna to sing about it. We're going to sing some songs that Christians have been singing for at least 100 years. Uh, about the resurrection. These are old hymns. Some of you love old hymns. Some of you hate old hymns. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to sing these two songs we're about to sing with everything you got. Because not only are we singing this truth, and not only is this true for us, but this is true for the world. And we are offering the resurrection of Christ to the world around us. And, and I hope that today that, that can be true for you, that you can live out the resurrection to such a degree that other people are drawn into it. That you, like Mary, are sent out to tell other people that Jesus Christ is, rose from the, is risen from the dead. We're going to sing low in the grave, and we're going to sing he lives. I'm not going to try to leave these. We're going to have 
uh, our very capable uh, David Walton leading these songs for us. But I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing these songs and sing them out. And after we sing them, Jordan's going to come up and he'll dismiss us with a word of prayer. But let's celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ.